This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you for joining me on today. And as always, a very special welcome to those of you who are tuning in for the first time. We are continuing, even though it's outside of the month of May, uh, I promise to bring you some guests. We want to go back and, and, and have some people who've been on the show previously to come out and be part of an anniversary celebration. So we consider this an extended celebration. And I've got another guest with me on today, one of our prior uh, guests on the show, Justin Ranton, is with us on today. Thank you, Justin, for taking the time to join us today. Uh, and go ahead, we'll let you, t- I-, I like to let people introduce themselves. So we're going to let Justin g- uh, give his intro, and then we're going to dive in and just start covering some at-large topics that we feel are hot and important to the U.S. community. So Justin, tell the folks who you are. Thanks for having me, Darren. Uh, it's always great to talk to you. We don't get to catch up enough, so I love these chats uh, with you. Um, for those that don't know, um, I'm Justin. I have been doing UX for a uh, better part of uh, the last 10 years now and doing design for about 18 years, uh, starting in graphic design. And um, currently the director and head of user experience at uh, AliveCore, um, <clears throat> a uh, healthcare company where we are changing uh, the uh, landscape of cardiology cardiological care uh, for folks with uh, AFib and other cardiovascular diseases. So uh, doing some fun work out there, but uh, that's the short of it. That, that That's fantastic stuff. I want to throw one question in because it just hit me and I think somebody's going to want to hear this. And we, I, we talked about this a little bit before, so it might be a little bit of a repeat, but Justin, tell the people how you made your transition into UX. So, um, my store, so as getting started in graphic design really young, I was doing, uh, you know, show flyers and CD artwork for bands that I was in uh, when I was younger. And um, <clears throat> that transitioned into, you know, hey, can you do business cards for like my mom, mom and pop type businesses? You know, my dad's got a lawn care company, uh, which slowly became uh, websites and stuff. But the real transition happened, um, you know, studying design and things. In about 2013, I was in a real bad motorcycle accident. And um, from there, I uh, started uh, learning how to build uh, websites and things. And that's really where the transition happened. I started going real deep, taking all of the courses that I can, absorbing all the information uh, into what um, <clears throat> UX was and how it was impacting the work that I was doing. It all boiled down to helping people achieve something with the products that I was creating, websites or um, marketing collateral that I was creating. And I wanted to understand more around why people were doing, uh, the behaviors that I wanted them to do and how I could help promote them. Uh, and so over the years I've started to formulate this kind of, uh, opinion that I have now, which is I can't actually design anybody's experience. All that I can do is create 
the environment or stage an environment for someone to have the best possible experience. So I've started to remove myself from the equation a little bit and think more about what are the building blocks that people need to be successful in their experiences from both uh, the, you know, achieving our business goals and what we're trying to do, but also uh, how do we help people um, have more emotional value and emotional connection and brand equity uh, with the products and services that that we're putting out for people and elevating the quality of life all around. Um, and over the last couple of years, I've really started transitioning to supporting the ideology around humane technology and uh, humane design, accessibility, inclusion, and diversity, which are uh, key components in the work that I do today. Fantastic stuff. I know somebody is going to be inspired by that. Uh, and we talk about people transitioning into UX. Everybody in UX has some type of a transition story. There are very few people that are coming straight into UX as their first job in the world. Yes, some people, but there's most of us transition from somewhere. And most of the people today that are getting into it, from what I've seen, are transitioning in. So transition stories are really critical, especially when when you talk about how you leverage what you did do and how it becomes relevant on the UX side, because those transition experiences, they're critical. What you did before, when you can understand the UX and how it related to the work you did previously and and help to align that with what you're going to do when you come into UX, it empowers you. So, so I I definitely encourage everybody to become aware of that. It, It doesn't make you qualified per se, I can do UX because I did this. No, it's just going to help you and empower you to make the transition. So we want you to be realistic yeah. about that, but it's, it's really important stuff. And so make sure you understand that today. Can't encourage people to do that enough. So let's get into the topics. We got, we did our, what we call a warm up, and we're just talking and five critical topics came up while we were quote unquote warming up and something else may come up too, but we're going to start off today by just talking about accountability and the what in accountability means, how is it critical to UX operation as a whole, to the discipline, and different examples of where we see accountability and how it benefits us, and where we don't see accountability and what the consequences are. So basically, why is accountability important and what is it? So you want to start us off on this on this topic? Justin? Uh, Sure. Um, Well, you know, I think it's important that um, we kind of maybe, maybe we start with defining what accountability is, Mm -hmm. right? So I think uh, Merriam-Webster defines accountability as an obligation or willingness to accept. uh, This is a really hard word for some people to accept responsibility uh, (laughs) or to account for one's actions. Um, And I think, this can be kind of interpreted in a lot of ways as we, we think about design. It could be uh, accountability for our processes, accountability for the decisions that we're making, accountability for supporting our teammates, uh, accountability for the impact that we're trying to drive. Uh, you know, we all have a job description at the end of the day about what we're trying to accomplish. So there's the accountability from the business standpoint of what mm-hmm. we need to deliver. Yep. Uh, yep. And then as UX designers, we have, or UX professionals in general, uh, we have accountability to the the most important thing, which is in our title, which is the users, the people that are using our products. So we have to be held accountable from that perspective as well. 
so I think there's a lot to unpack around accountability, um, but uh, I think that's a good place to start. Absolutely. I, I know this is a hot t- Debbie Levitt loves the topic of accountability and, and brings it up quite a bit. And I know one of the first thing that comes to mind for me with regard to accountability, you, you talked about the job responsibilities. You look at the job description. What are you accountable for? What does yeah. the business expect from you? And we take that a step further. How well are you doing what you're supposed to be accountable for? And how, how well did you apply UX principles and acumen to the work that you're doing, to the, the project you're working on? Okay, it's done. How well did you do? Where are, where are the opportunities for improvement? It's like people are just doing things and then they're just moving on to the next thing in, in the average experience today. They just, okay, we're done with that. Okay, let's celebrate. Okay, on to the next thing. And then we just slap some designs in a screen and then we run off. And so people are churning out work, but the accountability factor on average, a lot of times, at least that they're churning out the work, but there's no accountability. And when there's no accountability, have you really hit the KPIs? Are there any KPIs (laughs) at all? Some people don't, they don't don't work the KPIs. Have you, have you delivered? Did you even know what the KPIs were before you started so you can make sure to use that as a as a metric to gauge your work and be accountable to those KPIs because remember we have to we have to help people to understand the value that we bring. I, I have this conversation often no matter where I've worked and just talking to people everywhere about the fact that when it comes to doing the UX work we've got to be able to exp- everybody doesn't know who we are. Let me put it to you that way. Everybody doesn't know who we are. Everybody doesn't know what we do. Everybody doesn't know what to expect from us. And those KPIs, different metrics, the business speak that revolves around our work, we need to be able to demonstrate accountability to that because, because the business folks know what accountability is. And ironically, mm-hmm. in a lot of UX circles, as stated, there is no accountability. So, if there is no accountability, how are you going to communicate your your impact to the business? And, and how do you know where you stand? How do you know where you need to grow? And so accountability is, is huge. And these are the things that, that come to the forefront of my mind. The more accountability we have, the more power, powerful we'll be, I feel, yeah. as UX practitioners. Because, man, those that UX team, they really help us to to knock those KPIs out of the park. Man, those, those that UX team, they really understand us. How many times do you hear that? You, you don't, right? For the most part, because a lot of people are so busy. I say this a lot too, Justin. A lot of people want the UX jobs, but they don't want to do the UX work. Yeah. And in a lot of other instances, they're willing to do the UX work, but really don't know how the UX work integrates into the entire business operation, which now that cuts off your ability to communicate effectively. I think there's some systemic problems with that point right there. Not, Not your point, but in the environment that we all work in, there's systemic problems with why that's the reality. And uh, it's, it has a lot to do with lack of equal footing between uh, mm-hmm. the people that are doing the work and the teams that they're supporting uh, like UX being equally footed with product and engineering and marketing and all the other disciplines at the, t- at the company. Um, and I think it's a, it's, it's a wildly crazy issue. And then uh, being led uh, the, the other opportunity here, I think for improvement would be, 
organizations that have design leaders, uh, which I would consider like a, a a, a more traditional creative director uh, leading user experience professionals and research designers uh, that, that maybe doesn't have or possess the acumen to actually hold those people accountable, right? I think is a real, a real potential problem as well that we face too. Yes, yes, um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so it's a challenge, but I think, you know, one of the things that is, uh, you know, obviously this, this point that you're making and what we're talking about ties into like the boot camping challenges that we're faced with today. Uh, the fragmented education, the fragmented learning experiences. Um, you know, I'm self-educated UXer. I've done a lot of boot camps. I've done a lot of courses online and things like that. But the the difference is the the application, how I've applied it, understanding the science behind it, the yes. repetition that put into the work to understand it over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my first role as a UX designer, um, I technically should not have had, <laughs> hopefully the company that hired me today, but I technically shouldn't have had, but I'm, I'm fortunate for the opportunity because it put me on a career path, a trajectory. Mm-hmm. I got yeah. somebody took a risk on me and because of good accountability on that person's part, I delivered and Bingo. I became successful. Bingo. Right. I delivered and I became successful. And not only was I accountable for the stuff that I delivered, I was also accountable for the stuff that I wasn't delivering, how I was representing the company, how I was, um, you know, what what I was doing behind the scenes that people didn't see. What were my processes like? Was I sticking to a process? Was I modifying my process over times and learning new things about it? I was held accountable whenever I, uh, I remember this, this moment really clearly. Um, I'm all, I'm a big personality typically over the years. I have really kind of dialed it back, but I used to just say whatever was on my mind. And, um, in, in my first UX role, I was a consultant, right? So, uh, I came to a, a very large meeting. We were going to be redesigning a corporate website, our flagship corporate website. And, uh, I was sitting in the call and I'm listening to the, uh, chief marketing officer of the company at the time say, I I can't remember the exact example he gave or what he was trying to accomplish. And I had been at the company for like three weeks, four weeks, something like that, Darren. Mm -hmm. I said, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) All of a sudden I've got, you know, we had, I think we were using like teams, uh, Microsoft teams or something. And and my chat, like is just blowing up. My boss is telling me can't talk like that. My coworkers are telling me can't talk. Like I didn't say anything bad words or anything, but I called the chief Mark. I'm like a little peon consultant, you know, but I had, I developed respect with that guy in the long run. I mean, after, after standing up and explaining, <laughs> then it was like, okay, it gave me the opportunity to hold myself accountable. Right. Because then it was, why is this a bad idea? And who the hell are you? Right. So, um, and, and I was afforded that opportunity. So I think um, that, that plays into accountability that we're talking about is the stuff that, that you're not delivering, but how you also advocate, stand up for the profession. Um, you know, don't let people degrade our profession, steal our jobs, yes. uh, the democratization aspect of what we're trying to do. And uh, people thinking that they, they understand, they know the best decision without any data or any background in the, in the field. So um, a lot of accountability stuff here. Yeah. A couple things you mentioned there. Another aspect of accountability that usually goes under the radar is accountability, the marriage between accountability and education. Um, I'm always reminded that when it comes to education, and I'll, I'll take a step back, I'm getting my PhD in educational leadership. So maybe this is something that resonates with me possibly more than others. But when you 
When you establish an educational resource, I don't care what the subject matter is, does not matter what the subject matter is at all. When you have an educational resource, the way that you optimize the, the way that the pedagogy is established, the way that the curriculum is structured so that you can build a strong learning experience is to partner with organizations to understand what do you need a graduate to be able to do? A lot of people don't even know this happens. So institutions of higher learning, they connect with the large corporations, small corporations, everybody, and and they try to get an understanding of what they're supposed to be producing because education is supposed to be producing something. There is a product and it is a functional individual that can go into the workspace and and become a a viable society of our working uh, um, economics, if you will. So mm-hmm. a lot of organ- a lot of universities are great at it. colleges, great at it, even community colleges, great at it. But a lot of folks are not doing it at all. So this accountability between the people that are educating and the people that are going to hire those who are educated, if that accountability is not there cuz that's what that is. It's accountability otherwise the universities would just throw together anything. And the organizations would be left, hey, I can't hire any of these people. They can't do what we need them to do. So they talk, they, 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 they get things structured so that they know what to teach in their courses. And this is not yeah. happening. And, and for me, it's a huge pain point because I, and I, and I've been more vocal about this more recently than I have. I'm going to be delivering some, some workshops on this in the not too distant future, but the a lot of the the education today in UX is downright predatory. They know using the the the, the classic economic equation yeah. uh, with regard to supply and demand. They know there's a demand. People know there's a demand, so they launch into that whole free enterprise mindset. Well, there's a demand. I can put together some classes, and, and the justification is I can make some money. I can deliver some classes and make some money. So you have people that are getting into educational resources they're putting together these educational programs for UXers but they have zero accountability to the organizations that they're trying to develop people for and, and then the and then the people who are enrolling there's no caveat emptor they just all they see is an educational resource and they look to see if they can afford it and in they go and, and another accountability factor that's overlooked in education is that in most instances in in not in the for-profit universities as much as it is in the others, you have to compete for a spot. If, if you want, I, went, I remember going, trying to go to Arizona State for my PhD. I did not get accepted. I got accepted at another school. I got rejected at, at two schools when I was trying to, to enroll somewhere. And we get so used to, oh, I want to go to that school, so I just go. No, that's not how it works. You, you have to apply, then you have to compete with other applicants, and they only want the best students attending their university. One of the reasons is because they want a high graduation rate and they want their graduates to get into the working world and make them look good. Because if you graduate, get into the working world and make the school look good, that results in more people enrolling in their program. And then the economics of education just continues to go round and round. That's not happening. A lot of places, all you got to do is show up with the money, say you want to do it and away you go. And and there's so there's no accountability 
There's no accountability there. There's no accountability with the way the classes are structured, which is why people graduate. And 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 we've heard we hear it over and over again. I don't care where somebody learned. I don't care whether they went to a boot camp, whether they went to university. I'm pulling for you. And, and I repeat this often. Uh, yeah. But the, the, the reality is, if you can't do what the people at the companies that would hire you need you to do, you don't have a value prop. The chances of you getting in there is slim to none. Too many people think that the the education stops at the boot camp. When mm-hmm. I walk out of here with this <laughs> this yep. certificate of completion, when I walk out of here with this certificate of completion, I think I know everything that there is to know. <laughs> the people that I think succeed out of the boot camp are the ones that realize that there is so much more. Yes. That the boot camp is just, it's a Kickstarter is all it is. It's just, it's just to give you a taste of what's out there to see if you're interested in it. And unfortunately there's a lot of people charging a lot of money to get that little bit of a taste uh, yes. for some stuff. And I've seen some pretty bad portfolio project. <laughs> not that the design was bad, not that the design work was bad, but that the concept of the project itself was really terrible. It was, it was broken. It had a lot of gaps in it. It wasn't a complete mm-hmm. solution. Oh, well, we didn't have time. Then the boot camp wasn't long enough. You need to go through the entire yep. process. You need to deliver an end to end product. You need to be able to work with engineers. You need to be able to work with product managers, stakeholders, and it needs to feel and, and resemble some semblance to the real life of what the situation is. And I, I would probably go in as far to say that most of the people teaching these courses haven't had that level of exposure in an enterprise, let alone a startup where you're wearing all the hats at the same time, yep. but in an enterprise place where it's very high demanding on output and longevity at the, I mean, um, output and performance within the company for any kind of merit increase or bonus. Uh, there's just a lot that is not included in those, those conversations. And Your point around the lack of accountability, whether people want to realize it or not, the school has no accountability to the student either. When you read the fine print, there is no accountability. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I mean, they they say they're there for you to help you find a job, but at the end of the day, they're not going to give you a job. So, like, the, the Google certificate's a great example of that. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. Uh, and I'll say this. I, I, you know, I took their class after they um, put it out. I did the same thing with IBM, right? So, I've been studying UX for a number of years and, and learning about it. And then I see these certificates start bumping up. I don't even watch the videos. I just take the test at the end just to see what the questions are going to be. <laughs> And then I get certified, right? So you, you can actually do them and get the certification without actually having to do the work, which further debunks it, right? Like, so mm-hmm. just be careful. I, I love what you always say. Use critical thinking, vet the people that are mentoring you, make sure that they know what the, f- um, the hell they're talking about. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, my, uh, yeah, anyway. So I'll leave it there. <laughs> it was funny. You made me think about in the Google program. And a lot of people don't know this. I told somebody else. Uh, somebody was uh, Tolu was in, was interviewing me, and I shared that the Google program uh, or the Google started an apprenticeship program, and clearly stated that if you were an attendee or graduate, I believe graduate, if you graduated from their UX program, you were not eligible to be an apprentice. You cannot join them. What kind of a a, a pseudo negative in, uh, endorsement is that? That that's really on weird. your own program that you will not 
they're telling you that they don't have any confidence <laughs> in their own program. You would think that if they had, I set up an internal certification at a company that I was working at. We were trying to build people that could come through that program and, and we could build our own talent pool inside the company yep. by doing this. So I'm not going to roll something out and then say, oh, by the way, if you take this program, you can't be a part of our team. <laughs> That's insanity. That is yeah. absolute insanity. So Google is telling you that they're not confident. They're doing it for other reasons. Sorry, Google, but you know, you did it. So I'm just calling a spade a spade. If the sky is blue, sky is blue. I'm not going to say it's purple. It's blue. And that's just the way it is. So interesting stuff. And one of the things about the boot camps, I believe I talk about this on my episode about the, the UX boot camp brouhaha. A lot of the boot camps, again, great idea. The boot camp was a great idea. It just wasn't executed the way it should have been. They could go back to the drawing board and fix it. They possibly could. But one thing you will never do in any, on any day of the week is hire graduates. You graduate on Friday and you're teaching in the boot camp on Tuesday and you have no experience at all. The, the teachers need to be able to lead the students somewhere, somewhere viable. And, and the, the, you don't teach in, in places where I've taught. You don't teach unless you have something to offer students besides leading them through some coursework. Right. It, it is, it is not enough. Examples. Right. Yeah. There have to be examples, real, real life applicants, the practicality of it. It has to be there. Right. And th this is why I stopped going to conferences like UX conferences and yep. things, because a lot of it was like inspirational talks. Right. There are definitely those that are not, but there are a lot of that type of thing. Um, yep. And the inspirational part of it's great. But you get to a certain point where it's like, okay, where's the practical application of this? How do I use this in my everyday life? Right? Zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and they can't do that. If they come out of a boot camp and start teaching, I, I had somebody hit me up to uh, teach a class on user research, knowing that I'm not a traditional academic type user researcher. Uh -huh. Right. And, um, you know, there were three courses there was a UX, there was a design class a portfolio creation class, and then a research class. And for whatever reason, I was the prime candidate to teach the UX research class. I'm like, I, this is not, I don't have that background and I can't lead people through that. I hire experts in research to do this work because while I understand the value of it and I want to have a research driven department yeah. because I know that it has to be there. It's a vital part of what I do. doesn't mean that I'm a, I mean, I'm sorry, man. It does not mean I'm an expert uh, in, in the field. And by any means, I understand the methodologies and stuff, but that's, that to me is like the, the old adage or the old statement that people have where they say, you know, I know enough to be dangerous and that's the reality, but I'm smart enough to realize that that's the truth, right? Like right. I can be very dangerous, dangerous with that. So I make recommendations and I, I tell the research team, I say, Hey, you tell me, here's what I think should happen. You tell me whether I'm right or wrong. And then next time I won't make the mistake twice. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I wish people would recognize these things, but yeah, it, it is what it is. And I try to help as many people as I can to recognize those, those uh, pitfalls, those potholes so that they don't have to, I want, I want folks to have a good trip. It's a long journey. <laughs> UX is yeah. a long journey. And, and I know a lot of people, they misunderstand what I'm saying and doing. And I told somebody recently and they got it. I said, I think you're applying a tone 
You're looking at what I've typed on LinkedIn and you're applying a tone that doesn't match my attitude. I said, dude, this is what you do. Look at what I said, strip it of any tone. That way you can look at what's said, don't apply a tone to it, and then check it for accuracy. If you follow this advice, what will happen to you? If you can tell, what will happen to you? And that's how you get past. I mean, I've developed a science of, of reading emails without getting emotional yeah. <laughs> behind it because if you don't, uh, I mean, social media is social, which means you need social skill to optimize your operation with it. And so, um, but but I said that to say, it's always about vaulting people forward. I've been building people since, God, I, somebody told me that I taught them how to, how to play baseball. That happened in 1970. Wow. I'm, so I've been building people for 52 years. How about yeah. that? So, so it, it, it's, it, and that's my heart. I've been like that since I was a kid. So uh, just helping people to go forward, helping people to understand things, helping people to get better. And, and, and then when people make mistakes, as far as I'm concerned, so what? It, you made, everybody made mistakes. And I told somebody on LinkedIn last week, it's like the kid. You ever seen a kid? they're taking their first steps and they're walking to you and you're holding your arms out and the kid is coming to you and they're just, you see the excitement on their face and they fall. The kid gets back up. I see this like 49 times out of 50. The kid will immediately never take their eyes off of you. Yep. Immediately get up and, and resume the journey. Why do we get older and stop doing that? It's, it's, it's just get up. So what? Get up. And, and the problem is when you don't get up and, and people, t- they take things personally. They take failure too personally. Uh, have a passion for excellence. Yes. But give yourself room. Be patient with yourself and give yourself room to that. When you do skin your knee, that you can just get up and just keep going. When you do bump your head, just get up and keep going. But, but this, this whole I, I don't want to go. I don't want to talk about the demonization that takes place today at length, but but people need to stop doing that because uh, they usually accuse somebody who's not doing anything wrong of it, <laughs> and then they let yeah. the people that are doing weird things they let them get away with everything under the sun, and, and then we then we suffer. So and and folks, I will say this: folks out there, don't get upset about the person who says something that's tough on you. Get upset about the person who stroked your ego. When you needed a seat in the pants, mm. the that's the thing. I mean, somebody said to me last week, "You got to remember what it was like when you were coming up." Who wow. told you I forgot? Right. <laughs> wow. Who in the world told you I forgot? So we need to stop assuming things in conversations as well. I remember all too well. I remember trying to play little league baseball, and, and those who never played organized sports don't understand it. You played organized sports. I mean, real organized, but not just participation trophy, mumble, bumble, mumble, jumbo, where you lose a soccer game 20 to nothing and you still get treated to pizza. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you had to actually qualify (laughs) to make the team. And if you didn't, they sent you home and you were crying. And well, I guess you were just crying, but the rest of the team was celebrating because they made the team. Folks need to experience that because it makes you a a more emotionally intelligent person. It makes you a well-rounded person and it makes your skin thicker so when yeah. so the time when the time comes that you need to hear a hard message, you can take it because it empowers you. 
hundred percent. It empowers you, and and we just keep running to that. Oh, you made them feel bad. No, I didn't feel. I didn't make them feel bad. They chose to feel bad because of what was said. <laughs> There's a difference. You, you, you used to have to decide, right? You used to have to make a decision if you wanted to continue doing it. Yes. Right. There was a threshold. There was a precipice where you said, this is really hard. I remember almost quitting the football team Mm -hmm. because it was hard and I didn't think I was going to be able to perform. I didn't think I was going to succeed. And I remember my granddaddy told me, he said, "Uh, well, you have a choice to make. You can quit the team and I'll support you or you can go back out there and push through it and it'll be over before you know it. And you'll be playing. This was during two days. I don't know if you've experienced that. but Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. practices in the in the heart of summer right in uh, texas so 110 degree weather you know and Whoa. uh yeah so it, it was just a hard thing but at the end of the year guess what i was a uh on the all-state team and we had a state wow. championship ring at the end of it so if i'd have quit i would have lost that opportunity but mm-hmm. um but i made a decision to stay in it and I, you, you talk a lot about this topic all the time and i love the conversation and it, it makes me think about where does the the perception of cynicism come from. And I know this is like, has a lot to do with like people's cognitive biases and their own filters and what's happened to them in their life. The, the EQ that it requires to remove emotion from a reading a post online or remove emotion from someone giving you critique is really low. It's, it's really not a big gap. Mm -hmm. It's a very small thing to do just to say, Hey, uh, this isn't directed at me. It's directed at what I'm trying to accomplish or, or making me better, or it's directed at it, it, the work that I'm doing or something that I'm, I've mistaked on, you know, and, uh, the, the internalization of that seems to be a real struggle for a lot of people. Yes. I used to do the same thing to you, Darren, like before we, <laughs> before I, before I figured it out, before I became woke if, as it were, I used to do the same thing. I'd read your post and be like, man, he's just being super negative, but it wasn't negativity. Yep. It just felt cynicism because it wasn't what I wanted to see. Yep. Right. At the yep. end of the day, I didn't want somebody to be telling me that this is the, the, the correct way to do it. I thought my way was the correct way. So, um, you know, it's, it's a struggle for people and I wish there was more. The thing that's really kind of irking me right now is some of the people that I've looked up to that have mentored me are fostering this behavior and it's really starting to get under my skin and I'm not going to point names or we're not going to do that oh, here, but I know, I know one of them because he, tro- <laughs> he, tro- he, tro- he trolls me. Not only some of these people, they troll and exactly what you just said, and I'm going to take it a step further. They're like, uh, I just finished watching the offer, which is a fantastic show on Paramount plus that shows how the Godfather was made. There are people that mimic behaviors that are associated with organized crime folks. They dispatch people to do terrible things. They, they incite certain behavior when they're supposed to be building folks. And we're a community. Yeah. We're a community. Whatever happens at Justin's job, that impacts me. Whatever happens at my job, that impacts Justin. Right. We all impact one another in UX. If you don't believe that, watch and see the day that your one of your C-suite people reads an article that another C-suite person at another company wrote about UX because of the bad experiences he's having with the UXers at his company. And now you have to deal with it and you've been doing everything right. Yep. We impact one another and we have to remember that. Right. And, and, and it's just wild. Just such wild stuff. And I, I wonder what, there. <laughs> I haven't done a boot camp in a while, but do boot camps do they do they I know you've like 
audited some to some degree, like reviewed curriculums and things like that. But do do they do like critique sessions? Like, do they do teaching on giving and receiving design feedback and critique? Are you aware of that? I've never done a I love how you said that. It's my understanding and somebody respond to me and let me know that here's this. It's my understanding that they engage. I love the ways it's perfect with the way you said it. Double back on that. They engage in critiques, but do they teach people how to do critiques? It's like when I think about the Google program, and there's other ones. A lot of the programs on Coursera, are there, even the ones that are done with accredited institutions, people are engaging in peer reviews. Now, here's the thing. and I, I said this recently, and somebody got mad at me. On LinkedIn. They don't re- people don't realize when you get mad, who that says you are. Uh, people <laughs> people don't, don't realize that. I said, would you ask your, your, a friend of yours, to give you a review of your dentistry. No, you would not. <laughs> if they're a dentist, maybe. And, 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 re, and, and last week, I did a post, and, and people were commenting and didn't even understand the, the example I was giving. People didn't read Peanuts. I read Peanuts when I was a kid. I had a whole 10-volume set and, and would sit around reading Charles Schultz, the Charlie Brown comic strip. I knew what everybody was like, whether it was Violet, Schroeder, Snoopy, um, you name them, all the different people on the show. And so I, last week, I posted a picture of Lucy. <laughs> Lucy Van Pelt would set up a, a psychiatrist booth mm-hmm. and charge people five cents to give advice. And I said that this is what people are dealing with today in UX when they get, when they get counsel advice from people, Lucy is not a psychiatrist. If she did, she wouldn't be charging you five cents. Right. She doesn't, you, you, you have to be licensed to, <laughs> to do that. She just, just like a lot of the, the upstarts, when I did my recent uh, 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 episode on posers, retrofits, and upstarts, yep. she, it's an upstart move on Lucy's part to just up and build a booth and put on there five cents and then just sit there and say the doctor is in and you just show up and start talking to her about what's going on with you. A lot of people today are doing the same exact thing in UX and some people got upset, but, but okay, you're upset. Is it true? You know, stop getting upset with me because you're only, you're only uh, uh, casting shade upon yourself. If you get mad at me, a person in the UK once said, Darren, you sound preachy. Okay. Well, that's irrelevant. Is it true? <laughs> is it true? Does it apply to you? And do you need to do anything about it? And that's the EQ response. I, I've even told the story about when I was getting started and early in my now known, I, I didn't used to give credit to myself with, for the work that I did early on, the information architecture work and the interaction design work and all those things. But back then I was also an instructional designer and I was a desktop publisher and I was the managing editor of a, of a publication. And I used to do that initial work in Corel Draw. And back in the day, we didn't have Facebook. Back then, right. we were all in the news groups interacting with what we do now on Facebook. We did in face in uh, news groups back then. And I'm in the news group talking about design work. And a guy told me, he said, you know, you're going to love this, Justin, if you never heard me say this. He said, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, when you get serious, you might want to start looking at uh, Photoshop. And I went, What? I am, I, I am serious. Right. What, what, what do you mean? That changed my life. Yeah. 
It was wow. beautiful. It was. I'm so glad he said it. I'm glad that he wasn't one of those people that was sparing my feelings and then holding that that gold to himself. It changed yeah. my life. I got. It was a week later. I had Photoshop, and I abandoned Corel Draw and Corel Photo Paint and that whole suite that I was swearing by and thought it was the best thing under the sun and I was using you lead photo impact and all these other little goofy little programs. I, I thought I was doing world-class work in Microsoft publisher. I wasn't doing anything <laughs> and that launched me into the mainstream of the design world. And I never yeah. looked back because somebody told me something I needed to hear. Wow. <laughs> That's nice. I, I, um, I was fortunate. So there's obviously a pretty big age gap, but, I was fortunate to have a bootleg copy of, I think it was Photoshop. (laughs) The first one I had. Uh, And a a buddy of mine gave it to me who I still talk to today. He's uh, actually one of the best front end engineers. I know he's the one that that hooked me up and we were, we were pretty young, but um, anyway, but I, I lost that somehow. I lost access to it, but I was still doing work with Microsoft publisher. Don't tell anyone, but I was doing design (laughs) work. With Microsoft Publisher, and I thought I was really good too. Man. <laughs> it's amazing uh, some of those old tools. I know they're great. Well, uh, I, I did some print work for a number of years, and uh, one of the one of the jobs I had was a, a pretty common big box store that has like a built in print print shop, mm-hmm. and um, they use Microsoft Publisher to set up. Uh, templates for things like labels and business cards and yeah, things like that. I remember that. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting, but you know, one of those things that we kind of, you know, did you, for, by the way, Darren, did you forget what it was like to be, uh, be new to the field? <laughs> never, never. And, and it's funny how people will just make these assumptions that Darren Hood is trying to, trying to be a thought leader. Number one, I'm not trying to be a thought leader. I'm just doing what I can to help everybody in every situation. I love how somebody said, I believe it was Michelle Ronson that said it last week. Darren is doing all of these things and he's doing it for free. And the stuff has value. There are people who are charging you. I saw somebody last week, five, six, seven thousand dollars. They're charging people and they're not even what they're doing for people is actually misleading them. People have yeah. told me that they get more. They get more from people like me. You know, the other people, Debbie Levitt, Dr. Nick. I hear people talking about you. They talk about Eric Shoemake. They talk about Michelle Ronson. They talk about people, Dr. Giles. They talk about people that are doing great things to help the discipline. And none of us are charging anything. None of, none yeah. of us are trying. Actually, I think I meant, I said Michelle Ronson. She runs uh, Curiosity Tank, but she's doing great stuff too. And she, in addition to what she's doing with Curiosity Tank, she's doing stuff that she's just helping to build people up. There are people out here that actually care. There are people out here that you listen to us, you will not regret the information that we give. But then you get people who want to be in our shoes and for some reason think that they're going to vault themselves forward by casting shade and trying to make us look bad. So, you know, more power to them because because you're not going to you're when we when you're a proven commodity, yeah. nobody can say anything to take away from you. I, I worked on what was considered to be at the time the best 
launch site in the history of Ford Motor Company. I was I, I was the one of one of two information architects at the time that was that was devoted to that project. Actually, no, we were we did have the UX title by that time. And we we led this project, we knocked the ball out of the park. People went to the Mojave Desert filming all these things to put on the site. They came back. I talked about it was important to have a navigation a look and feel and an information architecture that was that was reflective of or resembled the main site uh, and provide ways to go back and forth. And there's just a whole lot of stuff without getting into the details. We did all of these things. Nobody can take that away from me. Right. <laughs> you can't take away from me that, that I did that. You can't take away, away from me that I set up a, a, a UX intranet at Bosch that helped to help to vault the, the vision that we had into being what they said was the best run UX division in a company with over 386,000 employees at the time. You can't take that away from me with these little blurbs. So say what you want. Who cares? Okay. <laughs> Who right. cares? Because the proof is out there and it's not going anywhere. The proof, to, I mean, it matters. Like what you've done matters, but needing to prove it doesn't matter. I exactly. mean, it just, it just what's, you're right. Just let it go. <laughs> You can't take that away from anybody and nobody's trying to take away what they've accomplished either or what they are trying to point out what they haven't accomplished. That's the other thing, trying to point out what you haven't accomplished just because I haven't done it yet. doesn't mean I'm not going to. Exactly. Right. So exactly. Give, me, give me the opportunity that I'm affording you uh, and let's have a conversation about, you know, how, how do we advance each other? Yes. Um, that's, that's kind of the approach that I want to take uh, as I'm, you know, as I'm developing how I mentor people and talk to them and, and, try to grow people into to this role in this space. I kind of share the same belief with you. Like I think the boot camps are a great place for for some people to get started if it's allowing us to be able to uh, take the next step to expand that knowledge base or to um, to to truly understand the discipline and where it came from. I recently posted uh, something because I was in a thread and some folks, we're making some kind of wild claims about how new UX is. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, okay, yeah, it hasn't been around for hundreds of years, right? Well, neither has technology. So let's be, let's be realistic. Uh, but um, there's wow. a lot to learn from the people that started this field, even as far back as the 1950s, learning who these people are in, in any other work, you know where the foundations of your field came from. You understand how those, you know, kind of move, you say art history, uh, design, you, you learn about art history, where it came from. Yes. The different styles, like all of the different methodologies that are going into UX, there's lots of different styles. Is there stuff that's regurgitated and repackaged? Absolutely, right? We can't really stop that, but at least I don't think we can stop it. Maybe we can if we really all just kind of get together, but that's, you know, that's hard to do. But I, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I think that, there's a lot of value in recognizing the modalities that yes. have been developing over the years and how you can apply them. Something that, that was developed, uh, you know, many, many years ago that we talked about last time, you know, like just UXing our daily lives, the 5S system, you know, that, that came out of the Toyota shop, uh, I think is really, you know, th those types of things are UX related. They're based on user experience. They're based on interacting and people with products and services. 
that's been around since the dawn of age. I think uh, when I posted that, Eric was even pointing out, Eric Shoemake was pointing out that uh, even the first tool uh, had to be designed, right? Somebody, you know, mm-hmm. was going through that process of design thinking. It's not a new concept. Uh, you're just because you're saying it doesn't make it new. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> anyway, just because you learned about it last week doesn't make it new. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we want to keep building up, but but taking a new approach to helping folks kind of unlock that there are. I don't want to. I don't want to frame it in a way that makes. Excuse me. I don't want to frame it in a way that makes it come across as like I think there's some procedural approach to doing our work because I really don't. I think that the modalities are interchangeable based on the situation. Yeah. Um, It it really depends on what you're doing. And I'm not a huge fan of the, it depends thing, but it is actually true and relevant to (laughs) to the work that we do. Yeah. Um, Because there's always a way it it doesn't just depend. There's a set of solutions to get you there. You just have to think critically, right? Like that's the hard part. So anyway, I kind of digressed on that a little bit, but um, I think that all, all, all of the things that we're saying, getting people back to a, a understanding that the, the, the people, let's call them our forefathers that have pioneered this field, have something to teach us. And everybody along the way, varying levels of experience, have something to bring to the table and discounting them simply because they didn't teach you the course, the boot camp that you were in, or because they're approaching the problem differently, or because they're challenging your critical, critical thinking or your responses to what's being said uh, is really limiting and exposing of who that person is and how they approach their work. And I probably wouldn't hire them as a UXer anyway. (laughs) You made me think about something that I'm expressing on in the mentoring series that it's funny how people say that they want to mentor. Then they encounter somebody who does something reflective of mentoring and they reject it. Uh, which is why last week I talked about if you want to be episode three, I should say, if you want to be a mentee, you have to be qualified to become a mentee. You don't just opt into it. If you don't have the right mentality, mentoring is not going to do anything for you. So you have to get ready for it. And and so when some people, uh, you're not going to listen to me because I'm not a part of, of company a mentoring group. Uh, but what I said is actually valuable. Mm-hmm. The, the ability to recognize value is a part of the the process. Otherwise, somebody can say anything to you. Uh, I have an, uh, an issue of the comic strip that I'm working on where you, I know you've heard people say this before. You, you can uh, draw more flies with honey. Yep. Uh, than you can with lemons or however, however the rest of that goes. Some people just say that part, and the comics, the uh, the issue of the comic strip shows a dialogue between two people because that's actually a Freudian slip, and I had never thought about it before. Because number one, who wants flies? Number one, uh, that's part of the <laughs> part of the message that's there, which which turns into a Freudian slip because Freud, uh, uh, or rather not Freud, but Flies don't just like honey. They also like vomit. And they like poop. And a lot of people, what they're offering is vomit and poop. And calling it honey. Yeah. If you eat poop, I know this is gross, but, you know, so be it. 
<laughs> if you eat uh, poop or vomit, it will have a detrimental impact on you, on your well-being. Absolutely. So, so when you think about the content that people are putting out there, I know this is a crude example, but I'm going to be uh, on the raw side because of the benefits that will come out of it. If we look at it practically, look at what people are offering you and where it's going to take you. Yeah. Uh, if they make you feel good, do you need to feel good in this moment? Or do you need to be steered away? Uh, if, are you about to drive off the off of a cliff, or, or or do we have time to guide you through something? Because if 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 time is of the essence, then the message to communicate to you has to be the the degree of harshness or what appears to be harsh will increase depending upon the timing associated with what's being said. So it's I, I just never never take it personally, and, and again. When you play you state football champ, your coach was not stroking egos. He wasn't Mr. Rogers. He was, I wasn't even there, and I already know that. He he was more like Bobby Knight. <laughs> it's more like, a, you better get over here, do it again. Yep. Uh, it, it, was, it was, and there was never a concern. All of the high-performing <clears throat> athletes that we see today, using athletes from a metaphoric perspective, are all grilled to the nth degree to achieve the level of greatness that, that they have. Nobody is coddled. Nobody has their ego stroked. They get, egos get stroked when they get into the pros and they're making millions, of, they're making more money than the coach. It's, it's different by that time, but, right. but yeah. they didn't get to that level by people coddling them. They get coddled when they become pros. A lot of them do. And we've heard about it, we've seen it. But when, but when, you're, at, when you're developing from Little League to high school, to college, uh, oh, you are grilled to the nth degree. And, and nobody cares about your personal feelings. Everybody has a common goal. We're trying to achieve something. And everything that's said, to your point you made earlier, it's about, it, it's never personal. It's always about helping the team to accomplish that goal. And, yeah. when, you, and, and when you're focused on the goal and they're focused on the goal, Nobody even cares about it. Matter of fact, when it's all, you see teams when they win and everybody's celebrating, mm-hmm. oh, if you saw the practices, it would freak you out <laughs> to hear the, the language and the facial expressions and the, yeah. the grief and the pain. Nobody, nobody sees that. So, again, just reminding people of those, of those elements because if you, if you digest that, it's going to vault you to a really high level of, of operation that you will love once you taste it you don't you don't want anything else I will nothing say comes without sacrifice right yep. nothing comes without sacrifice and there's a reason why you hear those folks say you know i put my blood sweat and tears into it because exactly and broken bones and late nights uh i know everybody well not everybody but a lot of people would be familiar with the uh remember the titans movie yeah with Washington and they were doing the late night practices and they were turning the headlights on the cars that actually happens in right. the deep South. If you're not familiar, we do practice at night like that <laughs> uh, behind, behind headlights. And when you don't see somebody coming from across the, the field and get your clock cleaned um, because <laughs> they snuck up on you, it doesn't feel very good, but, but what happens in the game is you don't forget that that somebody could be there, right? So the, those experiences are, are important. Those when when you slip up and make a mistake and you get hit hard, you remember that so that you 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 learn from it and you don't make the mistake again. But 
I think a lot of the, these, these, the way that some of the, the learnings are happening today is it's so conditioned just to deliver the information um, that um, it, it loses that opportunity to even make a mistake. And, and then for the people that are hiring these folks, right, um, especially people who have no background in, in work history, like that are brand new, like have never really had a real like job. Um, I've hired boot campers before, but they had significant experience in the workforce. They had developed yes. emotional intelligence, soft skills, and they're transitioning into a field. So they're leveling up and learning the skill sets that they can now apply to the similar type of work that they've been doing. And those people are usually pretty successful that, yes. that I've interviewed and worked for. They they perform, but the ones that haven't had those blows that have not been been exposed, uh, so to speak, to to the the dangers of the of the real world and the and the the business and, and the activities that go on. Um, there's another post that's been floating around that I've been commenting on and seeing some other posts uh, happening around the political landscape. And somebody said, Oh, you know, yeah. we should make it a job requirement to um, for designers to be able to navigate politics effectively. Um, and so I'm, I've got this new mantra. I'm trying to play 4D chess instead of 3D chess. It was 3D chess. <laughs> now I'm trying to play 4D chess. So, so I'm thinking that the design leaders that we need now know how to get rid of politics in the workplace and get rid of politics in the decision-making process and subjugate the politics because the politics are inevitably going to drive a poor decision um, because it, it doesn't require the same amount of information or the right information to make the decision. They're highly emotionally based. They're very stakeholder driven opinions. Uh, so that's the, that's the game I'm playing today is how do we shift that? Yeah. I, I've been a big advocate for years and talking about, well, number one, we, and we said this earlier, doing UX work is about, uh, I'm not even going to throw a number on it, but it's partly about doing the work and it's partly about managing all these other things. Yeah. It's about sales. It's about customer service. It's about, and this is the part I was getting at, managing politics. You have to be able to at least be aware of the politics, attempt to manage it, and if nothing else, because sometimes you can't, all you can do is try, but you can manage the team's response yeah. to the politics, if nothing else. And, and so those things, the more somebody is aware of those things, the better, the better off they are and the better they're going to be able to bring value to their team because of that politics piece. And which is why it takes thick skin to be a UX professional because it's it's just wild. Matter of fact, the Venn diagram, I modified that old classic Venn diagram where you have Mm -hmm. user needs, business needs, and they used to always say technical constraints. And, And when I taught a UX 101 class at a company I used to work at, I designed and taught the class it was part of the certification process. I would spend a lot of time talking about those constraints because they could be budget oriented. They could be financial. They could be technology oriented. Mm-hmm. It could be personnel oriented. Maybe you don't have the the people, the, the, the human resources you need to get it done. It, it could be time-based constraints and it could be politically oriented constraints. And, and a lot of times, the, we still have to try to find the sweet spot. Not a lot of times, all the time. We still have to find the sweet spot between those three factors. And the constraints are very complex when you go yeah. well beyond the technical constraints to get the work done. So when you do that, you're not going to fix that with Figma. <laughs> it's not, 
<laughs> That's not how it works. So folks oh, can talk about know. Figma all they want and be as good in Figma as you want to be. If you're good at Figma, great. I celebrate you. But I also want to give you a dose of reality in that you're not going to solve the vast majority of UX problems with a with any tool, Figma or anything else, because a lot of the problems and the challenges that we deal with have nothing to do with a tool. You're, you're not going to to use a wrench to do the work of a, of a Phillips head screwdriver. It, right. it just doesn't work that way. You're not going to be able to bring a saw and take care of what you need uh, a sandpaper for. It just doesn't work. So we need the right tools for the right things. And Figma has its place yep. and other tools have their place. Right. Uh, but you're not good. There is no one tool that's going to address all the needs of UX. So folks have to wake up. And that's another thing. I get in trouble for saying that, but I'm not going to take it back. That that's just the way it is. And and if folks don't believe me, go and go and try to solve the issues and watch and be realistic and watch and see what happens. When when your stakeholders tell you about a problem they have, just open up Figma and show Figma and act like you dropped a mic and watch and see how long you're in that room before they run you out. Because it, they know what everybody knows. And, and there is no no discipline that one tool takes care of everything. Yeah. None. And and so same applies to us. Well, and you know, on, on this topic related to tooling and related to, you know, and not solving all the problems also connects to accountability. Uh, it also connects to, you know, having um, some, uh, some level of discipline in, in the field uh, to make the right decisions. Yep. Uh, so yep. we could apply gatekeeping to that to some degree. Yep. I was trying to, using that term, but we, we, could, we could, we could apply some gatekeeping here. Uh, but I think that the, the most valuable tool that gets overlooked often is the squishy stuff between the ears. And it comes again, it's coming back to the critical thinking skill yep. set. I'd love to see more companies, uh, um, you know, have, instead of like these technical training programs of having critical thinking training programs, strategic thinking training programs. Um, and I think this, this piece, this ties back to accountability from, from the executive leadership teams down to the folks that are doing the work of transparency also affords a certain level of accountability and gatekeeping. When you talk, start talking about sports teams, everybody has the same goal. Right. That's why teams work. Right. There are usually not a lot of politics in teams. Right. Uh, Because everyone's going after the same thing and everybody knows what their role is and what their job is play by play. I know exactly what I'm doing as a center. I'm snapping the ball and I'm blocking the guy not letting the quarterback get hit. I know what I'm doing. The quarterback knows what he's doing. We all have the same goal, which is to win the game and get the touchdown. Um, we don't have that level of transparency a lot of times in our workplace awesome. because it's not getting rolled down, right? Uh, and so that opens up the door for poor accountability. It opens up a lack of gatekeeping on what our goals and our missions are going to be yep. and helping us to tighten our scope so we can stay focused because people just don't know. Everybody thinks that we're just trying to all accomplish the same thing. But in the reality, if you've ever done a stakeholder interview series, every stakeholder has a different goal. They're all <laughs> responsible for something else. Yep. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, anyway, I, I think that's a really important point that, that it's just, it's all connected uh, and you have to be able to critically think and you have to be able to strategize on your work and you you can use tools to do that and, and visualize it and help you to your point. Um, but you have to have the right tools for the job and, and the squishy stuff between the ears is the most important one. So exercise that one the most. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
But we are we are an hour in. Uh, okay. We touched on some of the topics without getting into them formally, but we're going to start to come in for a landing. We've talked yeah. to the tower. We got permission to land, <laughs> so to speak. Love it. Yeah. And we're, I'm going to jump straight to, we're going to wrap up with the fifth topic that I had on my list. Okay. Uh, so we're jumping dramatically. We already touched on gatekeeping. Yeah. Um, we got into democratization a lot. Not, not a whole, well, a little bit, but not a lot. I, I don't think we touched on it very much. We didn't do that justice. So maybe another time on sure. that. But staffing and hiring is yeah. is an issue in UX today. So we're going to wrap up today talking about staffing and hiring and our thoughts about that. And we go as broad or as narrow as you want. But where would you start there in addressing the topic of staffing and hiring, that, that whole HR, human resources related aspect of the UX job? Um. Right now, so I think we can't not talk about what's happening in the world right now as a result of this. I think the economy has a lot to do with what's mm-hmm. happening from a staffing process right now, the market that we're looking at, and, and especially in the U.S. Um, I understand that a lot of countries are experiencing the same problems and challenges we are with inflation and layoffs and things like that, but I, can, I know more about what's happening here in the U.S., so I can speak to that. Um, recently I had a job offer, uh, a candidate come across my email from a recruiter said, Hey, I've got this candidate. He's got four years of experience and he's, he's been working for some really powerful startups or powerful. I don't even know what that, that adjective means in that case, but they're working for some startups and doing some very, very solid work. And he's looking for $200,000 a year. Um, Whoa. And, yeah. so, um, and, and I will say this, what's happening in the market right now is not sustainable. If you're getting yep. these types of offers and you're getting, uh, it, people are coming to you and saying, hey, I can get you 200K, they may be able to get that. And here's the reality of it. If the startup or the company has the bandwidth to take that risk and can afford you that opportunity, um, you know, good on them. And maybe it's a risk that, that makes financial sense to them, but here's the reality of it. Um, Darren and I both know that when the push comes to shove, design is going to get laid off just like everybody else. And sometimes <laughs> they're going to go first, yep. you know, you'll see consultants start going, you'll start seeing, you know, low level, junior level designers start going, you'll start seeing management levels start going from design because the reality is people think they can do our job or that, that our job is not necessary. So I just want to put a warning out there to people you're getting these really lucrative job offers and you know, without a doubt that you really don't have the experience to justify that be warned. You're it's not sustainable. And there's a high likelihood that I don't want to discourage people. That's the worst part of this. Like good on you. If you're able to convince and negotiate a company to give you an astronomical salary based on, you know, your experience, because the world is in a weird place. Inflation is, is record highs. Gas is record highs. I paid $6.50 for fuel yesterday in my, nice. my truck um, per gallon. And I, I get it. We need to be able to sustain and, and have better income for our homes. But the reality is, is we're on the brink of some really, I'm not an economist, but the, all the things are pointing in that direction. You know, <laughs> things are going to start happening. We're already seeing massive layoffs in the tech industry. So, um, uh, just be careful with that kind of stuff. I would say here's here's what I see most. In with the exception of you being in a toxic environment, if you are not in a toxic environment, 
This is a really good opportunity to dig your heels in, do something spectacular because on the backside of this market, the ones that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to have the innovation opportunities. They're going to have the new ideas. They're going to have the fresh approach. Those are the people that are going to be successful on the backside of this whole thing. The, the jumping ship for the money, I get it. Like that's the best way to get a raise right now. But the reality is, is to invest in what you've invested in. Take a really good look and stock uh, in what you've accomplished, what you've worked on, where you've invested the blood, sweat, and tears, the people on your team that mm-hmm. you've already been working with, yep. and invest in that. Uh, it's not always about the money. So uh, that's where I would start this conversation or maybe close it. <laughs> I don't know how much time we have left. That, but that's I think fantastic. I, I I actually don't want to add anything else to that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think well, people need to take that to heart. Uh, it's a wild landscape. We're already in the wild, wild west of UX. Yeah. For for several different reasons. And now people are expecting salaries that are completely unrealistic. And and if something unrealistic happens, then something very realistic is gonna happen behind that. <laughs> and it's, it's not gonna be very desirable. Uh so folks need to be ready. If you if you're getting paid, I hope you're doing a good job of saving, uh, because it's a matter of time before somebody wants to make a change. Uh, well, here's the reality that. of it too. If you are coming out of a boot camp and you don't have the the blood, sweat, and tears that we keep talking about in this episode, this is the blood, sweat, and tears episode. Apparently, <laughs> and you don't have those blows. You haven't had your clock cleaned yet by a linebacker running across the field, blindsiding you. Um, the reality is, is you're going to fail, and it's okay to fail. Like that's not the point of the conversation. But you are going to fail at some point, and then they're going to be looking at the highest paid person that failed to, to, to recoup that cost. Yeah. Uh, so that's another reality of it. So just be, be aware. <laughs> it is. A, it's amazing how those things, how those things work out. Uh, but let's make sure, I mean, you're getting a lot of great information here. Make the most of it. If you want to be in UX, you have subscribed to being a realist. Uh, you want to be in UX, you subscribe to lifelong learning. Uh, you want to be in UX, you need to make sure that you understand that we are a community and we affect one another in what we do. Matter of fact, those salaries, those exorbitant, undeserved salaries will have a ripple effect yeah. <laughs> across will. the discipline. And uh, it is what it is. I always come back there. I always, I'm always grounded in it is what it is. It might look crazy, but it is what it is. Okay, so what are we going to do to manage it? What, what do I do, need to do to manage myself? in the midst of this and then okay it is what it is and we go on from there so yeah i think that's a great place to to wrap up today justin and i appreciate that so yeah. thanks again for joining me on today i i don't even care that we didn't get to that other stuff i think there was this is a really big i love what you said the blood sweat and tears uh and and that's what we're going to call this <laughs> hey, <I'm on> it. <laughs> the blood sweat and tears episode because it, it is it's a reality check and and the more realistic you are the better you're going to be, the better equipped you're going to be mentally and the better equipped you're going to be emotionally because your expectations will always be more closely aligned with what's really going to take place. So you, you remain more grounded and, and it helps you to maintain motivation and you stay on top of your mental wellness and, and all those types of things because of where your head is and, and not like mm-hmm. these people with the toxic positivity because that stuff will, it will, it will blow up on you. After a while, it's like eating a stick of dynamite. It, it's gonna, it's gonna come back, and it's gonna get you. I've seen people on social media who just 
they just got to have the, the, the smoke blown up their rear. And and that's not going to, that's not going to work eventually. And then they avoid people like me because I'm just going to tell you what is. And people tell me all the time, thanks for keeping it real. Thanks Mm -hmm. for being honest. Thanks for being Mm -hmm. transparent. You know, even though some people, they hate it and that's fine. I'm not here to be loved. I really don't care. (laughs) People will say that they, Darren, you're giving these people too much energy and you're doing this, that, and the other. I would say you don't really understand what I'm doing. (laughs) And and, and I'm a mega, mega, mega vet of dealing with people like this. And if you have not, eh, you might want to hold off on giving me advice too quick because you don't know what I know. Matter of fact, you should come at me with some questions about what's really going on. It's, it's an issue of today of making sure to to optimize where we are. It's making sure to understand the different dynamics that we're being surrounded by. Um, I, I I don't want to. I, I said this earlier. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to wrap up here. We I I, I want to see everybody go forward. I take a stand for what I take a stand for. Because I want to see people go forward. And, and I say this all the time. I say it often. I feel a sense of indebtedness to the discipline, so I give back. That's why I say what I say. I'm almost, you didn't know this, Justin. I was ready to walk away from, from LinkedIn. Like 100% cold turkey, just walk away. Because I, I get tired, honestly, of the, the people and some of the things that they do. It, it's when you consider... People have no idea how much people like me give of ourselves. They have no idea. They have no idea the sacrifices that we make. They have no idea of the the burden, how heavy the burden is. That we're doing this because we just got a big heart. And then people flip and try to make it seem like it's something else. It's, I love what I do. I love seeing people who love what, what they do who love what they're getting into. I just want to help. That's basically it. And I'm, I'm going to wrap up because I'm going to go down another tangent. I'm just going to stop. I, I Forget it. it. It's just, but I do want to, <laughs> I do want to say that. Please understand. If you don't understand, so be it. Like I said, I'm, I'm not here to be, I'm not here to be loved, welcome, or understood. I'm here to help. And so yeah. if you, I think that's what I was trying to get at the whole time. If you, you accept that help, great. Uh, if you don't, fine. <laughs> It, it, it doesn't, I'm not losing energy because of that. Uh, but I do know that if you say nothing, then you're actually emboldening and equipping and licensing what's being done. And I refuse to do that. So, so that's it. That's my, that's my take on that. And if you think that, oh, Darren, you worry about it too much. Really? You really think I'm worrying about it too much? You really think that? Well, then more power to you too. Uh, and then I make a note of you because <laughs> now I know who you are too. And, and I told somebody once, uh, I tell this often, I make a persona of everybody I meet. I do it automatically. I don't even have to think about it. So, uh, and when I see somebody, huh, I've seen that person 500 times. Huh, I've seen that person 35 times. And now I know, okay, now you see that person. Now you need to respond doing this, 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 and this. So I'm not stopping. Uh, I was going to walk away from LinkedIn. I'm not walking away from LinkedIn. I was ready. Yeah, I was ready. Boy, that was going to be peaceful. I have taken a sabbatical from LinkedIn. I might do that. But Sorry I, to take breaks. Breaks yeah. are good. People get burned out all the time. You got to take a break. Don't get burned out. There you go. And that's it. I, I was burned out. 
burned out from LinkedIn, uh, burned out from giving. And people, my LinkedIn uh, inbox is jammed. And, and, and people have no idea. I don't charge people for this. Yeah, I don't charge anybody. I didn't. I don't get paid for setting up the the UX chit chat hour. I I I did a, uh, a gave an emotional intelligence talk at one company I used to work at, and I've worked for a lot of toxic companies. Yeah. And I gave my emotional intelligence talk, which resulted in a riot, the equivalent of a riot starting. Because they were angry when they found out what my EQ score was and found out what theirs was. They responded by proving why their scores were so low. And a riot broke out <laughs> on the spot. And, and and just a lot of the same kind of slinging of insults and and all types of, of uh, overly aggre- emotionally aggressive uh, statements. And um, here's some books that you, I said at the end, here's some books if you want to learn more about Emotional intelligence. Here's a list of books that you can check out, and I'll send you the PDF. The links are all live. Well, you you making some money off of affiliates on Amazon? I'm like, it, it just the these people. No matter what you say and what you do, the the you said you said the word earlier perfectly. The cynicism is off the charts, and cynicism is not healthy. No. It's not healthy, and it will it will lower your ceiling. And it is an EQ. I, I listed as an EQ, EQ red flag when I did that series. So, folks, don't be. If you're one of those people, just lose it. Fine, make the switch, make the change. And and, and if you used to be, they said Justin said he used to respond a certain way to the things I posted. But here we are. Here people we are. can people can can become something else. And, and I want to be here when those cases come about to help people be exactly that. That's why I keep doing this show. So we can help people and and talking about things that nobody else is pretty much talking about. Uh, I dare somebody to (laughs) accuse of that because they've done that too. So, but that's it. We're going to end there because my soapbox is always ready to go. So I'm going (laughs) to lock my soapbox up. We're going to end it here again. Thanks for coming out, Justin. I appreciate that. And of course we got, we got to connect. We got to get you and Eric on the same show. Yeah, that'd be good. That'll be fun. You you folks yeah. used to work together too. That'll be yeah. fun. I love Eric's take on things. But we're going to wrap up here, folks. So uh, thank you, all of you who joined us on today. Uh, tell your friends. Let's get, let, let's, how about truth go viral for once? Yeah. <laughs> uh, share, I have the truth. <laughs> share the podcast with your friends. Get the word out. And, and uh, we'd love to have more and more folks listening. And and if you ever get any ideas or something you'd like to hear me cover, just reach out on LinkedIn, send me a note, reach out to our private social media network called Engage, which some people don't even know about. Uh, so we don't have to deal with the algorithms. We get out there, we have a conversation. We, we I started to shut that down, but somebody said, no, let's try it. Let's try and keep it going. So we're doing that. So I, I'll probably post a link to Engage with the podcast notes. Let, let, let's keep the conversation going let's keep helping one another let's keep the trajectory of UX as much as we can going upward folks yes but that is all the time we have for today so for on behalf of Justin Ratton and for me Darren Hood the host of the world of UX it's time to sign off so until next time happy UXing everybody Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.